morning. Let's turn to Mark chapter number 9. Mark, cha- I'm sorry, Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter number 5. And uh, I'm going to look over a couple of verses here, if you would. When you find it, let's stand together. Mark chapter number 5, look down to verse number 21. We're going to read a few verses, then skip a whole chunk, and then pick up in verse 35 here in just a second. Mark chapter number 5. Look down to verse 21. The Bible says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. The Bible says in verse 24, now watch what's about to happen. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. That means he's just being mobbed by all the people that are there to see him. And this is where verse 25, the woman with the issue of blood comes up. So basically what's happening is uh, Jairus gets lost in the crowd. He had made his way to Christ. The big crowd is gathered around Christ. Uh, and now because Christ is moving, the crowd's moving with him. Uh, this woman with the issue of blood comes up and Jairus, in essence, loses his place in line. Uh, Let's pick up the rest of the verse, verse 35. We'll skip over the account of the woman. We'll refer back to that shortly. Verse 35 says, While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Try to imagine those emotions of that moment. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult. Imagine the people there. They're weeping because the young ladies passed away. The Bible says, and them that wept and wailed greatly. What a heartbreaking scene that was. Verse 39, and when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. When he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word that we've read this morning. Thank you for the truth that's contained therein. This is not a story. This is an account this morning. Thank you, Father, so much for what you did, Lord, not only for the little girl, but preserving this account for us, that we could learn from it today. And I pray you'd help us. Lord, you know the need of every heart that's here today, every soul that's lost and needs to be saved. Uh, Every uh, saved child of yours this morning, Father, that may not be where they need to be, I pray you'd help them to know that. Draw us closer to you today. Help us receive and respond to the message in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I've told you many times before that I enjoy reading stories uh, about successful people. Uh, I like reading about people who have accomplished good things, great things in their life, and uh, redeemed the time in their life that they had for the glory of God, and uh, I like to find out what makes them tick, you know? Uh, I kind of feel like if I can learn from successful people, I might just have a chance at being successful at something uh, in my life. I think that's what Proverbs 13, 20 is talking about, when it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, and the companion of fools shall be destroyed. And so I think you can learn something from successful people, hanging around wise people. And one of the people I read behind a lot is John Maxwell. And John Maxwell has written a lot of books on leadership, uh, written a lot of books on success. And one of his studies, he studied 300 highly successful people. That included Franklin Roosevelt, Helen Keller, Winston Churchill, and Albert Einstein. And what was interesting in that study was as he studied these 300 successful people, was he found some common denominators in their life that you would not commonly think would be in the lives of people that were successful. One quarter of those that were uh, considered successful as they were mentioned a moment ago, one quarter of them had handicaps in their life, such as blindness, deafness, or crippled limbs, as we understood with Roosevelt. Three quarters of them had either been born into poverty or come into broken homes. 
Now, you would think someone who was successful and had done great things in their life and become someone, uh, as this world would, would call them someone, would be someone who maybe was born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Maybe they were born to great wealth or grown, uh, born into notoriety. And yet all of them had some type of issue in their life that uh, might have submarined their opportunity at being successful. Now, we know our history, we know these people and what they did and the contributions of life, and what's amazing is all of them would go on to live successful lives and leave their mark on the world that they're living in or they lived in. Now, why is that? The reason is simple this morning, and we're going to apply this to the church today. The simple fact is they desired a life and a fruitful life more than the limitations that they had in their life, all right? They desired to live, and they desired a successful life more than the limitations that they had in their life. Now, why is that important? We think about that this morning as an American. That's what the American dream fully embodies. The reason we have this wonderful country this morning that we are privileged and blessed to call home is because there were some people years and years ago who believed that the life that they could have in this country was worth facing the limitations they were going to encounter to have this country. I mean, you think about the pilgrims, all right? The pilgrims faced a lot of setbacks and a lot of limitations, but thanks be to God, they were willing to face the limitations so that we could have the life that we have here today. Think about the Wright brothers, all right? Uh, you know, none of us are born naturally flying, okay? Now, I know some folks who smoke some stuff and other things like that, and, and they can fly, but we're not born naturally flying, are we? Uh, that's kind of a limitation we have. We're, we're not able to do that. I hope when we get to heaven, we can, don't you? You ever had those dreams where you, you flap them? Come on now, we all have. And you flap them, man, and you start lifting up off the ground. I hate waking up after those dreams. It's just so disappointing to wake up and realize that, that you can't fly anymore. Why? Because we're limited. Well, the old Wright brother said, you know what? I know we have limitations, but we're going to push through the limitations. Why? Because we believe we can have something on the other side of our limitations. And now all of us jet set around the country, around the world. Why? Because they didn't let the limitations stop them from what they were pursuing. As I studied that out, preparing for this message, I began to realize that really that's the crossroads of any success whether or not you have success in your life, whether as a, a businessman or woman or success in your life in politics, success in your marriage, success with your children, success as a Christian, really, you come to a crossroads one day and you have to make the decision of where, whether you're going to believe your limitations or you're going to pursue the life. You come to the place where you have to make a decision where you're going to believe more in your limitations or you're going to believe more in the life that you believe you could have. Now, oftentimes, do you know why we're not successful? We believe more in our limitations than the life we're supposed to have. Prime example, Moses, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. God says, Moses, this is the life I have for you. I want you to be the great deliverer of, Egypt, of Israel. What a wonderful privilege. That Almighty God would reach down and choose mankind to carry out his will. And he says, Moses, I want you to be the deliverer. That's the life I have chosen for you. And so Moses stands at that crossroads trying to decide whether or not he's going to pursue the life that God has given him. And what does he say in Exodus chapter 4 verse 10? And Moses said unto the Lord, oh my Lord. Oftentimes that's where it starts. I am not eloquent neither heretofore. Nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What's happening? God has presented Moses with the life that he's calling him to. And yet Moses is trying to decide, do I believe the limitations that I have, or am I going to pursue the life that God's called me to? Now, folks, Moses has the same problem you and I have. God calls us to live a life pleasing to him that glorifies him. Watch this. God calls, calls lost sinners to be saved. He calls them to eternal life. And yet the devil reminds us of our sin. And we're sitting there. We know God's calling us to be saved, but we just can't get over the fact that we are sinners and we've sinned so much that surely all the sin of our life is going to keep us from getting saved. And you're going to miss out on eternal life this morning because you choose to believe in the limitations you have rather than the life that God's calling you to. We would all say amen to that. Amen. But it's the same problem saved people have. God calls us to live a life of victory, 
of holiness, of power. God calls us to live a separated life, and we know what God's called us to live, and yet we look at the limitations that we have in life, and we choose to believe our limitations rather than the life that God's called us to. What did Saul say in 1 Samuel chapter 9 when he was about to become king? Saul answered and says, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all families of the tribe of Benjamin. Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? Saul says, why are you talking to me? Look at all of the limitations I have. I'm from the smallest tribe and I'm the least in my tribe. Why are you even talking to me? God says, because I know what I'm talking about. And I'm calling you to this life. Forget about your limitations. But oftentimes we miss out on the life that God's calling us to. Why? Because all we see is our limitations that are there. Now, folks, can I tell you, anytime God knocks on your heart's door, do you know what he's offering you? Every person in this room this morning, the Holy Spirit of God knocks on your heart's door, he's offering you one thing, he's offering you life. So how do you know that? Well, if you're lost, he's offering you eternal life. If you're saved, watch this, and you're not in the will of God where you need to be, he's knocking on your heart's door to repent. You know what he's offering you? He's offering you a sanctified life. He says, hey, you need to get cleaned up. Hey, my children shouldn't be acting that way. Lost people act that way. My children shouldn't act that way. I want you to be, I want you to repent. I'm offering you a sanctified life. If God knocks on your heart's door and he's burdened you about service, you know what he's offering you? He's offering you the opportunity to have a surrendered life. But it all goes back to life. But oftentimes we miss out on the life God's calling us to. Why? Because we throw up in the face of God all the limitations that we have. Now, this morning in this passage that we're looking at, there's something quite amazing. This morning we're going to look at the subject of life or limitations. Life or limitations. This morning every one of us has an opportunity when we walk out these doors to choose the life he's calling us to or be satisfied with the limitations that we've already come with. Now, in this passage of scripture we've just read, Christ wanted to bring life to this young lady, did he not? And Christ is going to bring life to this young lady, but there's some things that he did before he went in there and healed the young lady. Look down, if you will, to verse number 35. I'm sorry, look down, if you will, to verse number 40. He comes to the house. The Bible says, Jesus says, the damsel is not dead. She's only sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. Now, Christ wanted to bring her life. And Christ had the power to bring her life. But there's some things that had to be dealt with before that could happen. Pay close attention. Verse 40 says, they laughed him to scorn. Do you know why they're laughing? Because they doubt him. They doubt him. They're sitting there and they're thinking, we, we, we watched her draw her last breath. She's gone. She's no longer here. And they're laughing because they doubt what Christ can do. Now understand this morning, this is very important. The first limitation you're going to see this morning to having the life God wants you to have is one you've got to confront in order to have that life, and that's the limitation of doubt. The limitation of doubt. I went back and forth trying to decide should the first point be the limitation of doubt or the limitation of disbelief, but the more I thought about it, I realized doubt is just disbelief in disguise. Think about that. Doubt, and when we doubt God and doubt what God wants to do, doubt is simply disbelief in disguise. Now watch this. These people that are laughing, they could have been a part of that group that got to go in and watch the little girl receive her life, but they missed out on seeing what God wanted to do all because they doubted him and they did not believe what he could do. Now, I believe this morning there's many of us in this room today that are going to miss out on what God desires to do in our life and to be a part of the life that God desires for us simply because we are limited by our doubts. We're limited by our disbelief. Now, folks, listen, whether it is salvation this morning he's calling you to, whether it's sanctification he's calling you to, whether it's service he's calling you to, can I tell you what's going to limit you fulfilling the life that God's calling you to? It's doubt. Oh, man, I remember God called me to preach. Now, right now, you think, boy, I couldn't believe you were ever a quiet person. Believe it or not, I was. My first sermon was 15 minutes long. My dad's first was 55 minutes long. I got it behind the pulpit. It's a 15-year-old kid. I said, my dad preached 55 minutes his first time. You don't have to worry about that tonight. The next 15 minutes, I ripped off the fastest sermon you've ever heard and sat down. I didn't like to talk. The Lord called me to preach. I think, what are you doing? I, I was kind of like Saul. Why are you talking to me? 
I'm not the guy for that. And I'm sitting there trying to decide whether or not I'm going to believe more in my limitations or I'm going to believe more in the life that God was calling me to. And what was hindering me from moving forward in the life God was calling me to was the fact that I doubted. And I was doubting because that was the limitation in my life. Now, folks, I wonder this morning what God's calling you to. Look, you may be lost this morning. The Holy Spirit of God's been knocking on your heart's door for a long time. And he's trying to call you to eternal life and a home in heaven with him. And yet all you see is your sin. And you look and you know the things you've done. You know the places you've been. The thoughts that you have thought. By the way, all of us have been there. We're all born sinners just like you. And you're staying there trying to decide, should I pursue the life or believe in the limitations? Can I tell you, he's able to save to the uttermost. Don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. And boy, all the Christians this morning, we say amen. And yet, watch, we come to that crossroads of the life that God's calling us to after we get saved. We're sitting there and God's calling us to surrender. God's calling us to sanctification. God's calling us to service. And we're like, oh, I just don't know that I can do that. I'm, look, I'm the silent partner when we go soul winning. You know, everybody always volunteers to be the silent partner. Somebody's got to speak sooner or later. And you say, well, I just don't know what to say, and I don't have all the right verses memorized. Hey, why don't you just trust God to say what needs to be said? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't memorize some verses. I'm not saying you shouldn't practice in front of a mirror. Hey, witness to your dog every once in a while. He's not going to argue back. He doesn't know anything about Jehovah's Witness. Hey, just sit. he's just going to sit there and listen to you. I'm not saying you shouldn't practice. What I am saying this morning is, why doubt God when he's already saved your soul? You think about that. We trust God for eternal life. But we don't trust him for everyday life. Seems kind of backwards, doesn't it? Seems like eternal life would be the hard part. You know, get me from here to heaven. How does that happen? I don't know. I'm just trusting him for it. But why can't we trust God for everyday life? Why can't we trust God for our job and for food? Why can't we trust God for our home and raising our children? Because of doubt. And we're finding that our lives are severely limited. Why? They're limited by our doubt. Now, whether it's for salvation or service this morning, understand this. You're missing out. You're missing out. Why? Because of your disbelief and doubt. Notice the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. Laughers miss out on getting to see what God wants to do. You say, well, I would never laugh at God. I would never laugh at God. Listen to me this morning. I would never laugh at God. Do you know you can laugh at God without ever opening your mouth? Do you know how you laugh at God? You don't believe. <laughs> Laughing, look, doubting God is just, watch, disbelief in disguise. And when we doubt God, all that is, is the same thing at laughing him. God, what are you talking about? You want me to surrender my life? Now, we're not laughing verbally because we're too smart for that. But the truth is, by not being obedient to it, we're laughing at God. I read a sad story years ago about the French philosopher Voltaire. He believed that reason was sufficient enough for man, and he said this one day. If in the market of Paris, before the eyes of a thousand men, and before my own eyes, a miracle should be performed, I would much rather disbelieve the 2,000 eyes and my own than believe it. He said, I'd rather disbelieve it all, even if I saw it. Can I tell you what happened to Voltaire? His disbelief and his doubt robbed him and limited him of eternal life. And according to his testimony this morning, he's burning in a devil's hell all because he chose not to believe. He missed it. You're going to miss out on life. You're going to miss out on getting to watch God do something in your life. All because you're going to come to the crossroads of looking at your life and the limitations of your life and looking at what God's calling you to and you're going to believe the limitations more than you're going to believe God. Simply because you choose. You know, Voltaire didn't have to go to hell. Voltaire could have gone to heaven and be spending all eternity with him right now. But he chose not to believe. Reminds me of the story I heard once about a man walking along the beach. He saw a man standing there on the beach with a stick in his hand and a dog beside him. And he says, hey, does that dog fetch? He says, my dog can do something no other dog on the planet can do. He says, what's that? He says, watch this. He took the stick, threw it as far as he could out there in the ocean. The dog walks on top of the water. Gets the stick and brings it back. The guy standing back, he says, I can't believe that. I just can't believe that. 
He said, well, watch this. Picks up the stick again. <laughs> he chunks it out there again. Dog walks across the top of the water, picks up the stick, brings it back. The guy just goes, I just, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He said, I'm going to do it one more time. Picks up the stick, <laughs> chunks it out there again. Dog walks out on the water, brings back the stick. The guy says, could you believe what's going? He said, I, I just can't believe it. He says, well, didn't you see something kind of unusual? The guy looks up at him and he says, yeah, your dog can't swim, can he? Your dog can't swim. He missed it. He missed it. Why? He chose not to believe it. I can't believe there's a dog walking on the water. So he says, hmm, your dog can't swim. Now, folks, watch this. That's us. We choose not to believe. We know what God's called us to. Look, there's not a lost soul this morning that's in hell that he did not make known their need for salvation. He called them. He called every one of them to life. There's not a person this morning eternally separated from God in hell that he did not call them to life. But they chose not to believe it. They said, nope, even though I know what he's called me to, I just don't believe it. And saved are just as guilty. He calls us to life. By the way, John 10, 10, he says, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Watch this. To the lost, he calls them to life, eternal life in Christ. To the saved, he calls you to an abundant life. Look, there's too many Christians this morning. You're living a loser type of life when you could live an abundant life simply because you don't believe God. You don't believe him. You believe he'll take you to heaven when you die, but you don't believe he'll take you across the street to witness to your neighbor. We doubt. We don't have the belief that we should. Gideon. Oh, Gideon. I read about him this morning and I saw myself. Judges chapter 6, verse 15, God tells him, Gideon, I want you to go and lead this army. Gideon, you're the guy that I have tapped to do this. Verse 15 of Judges chapter 6, he says, and he said unto him, Oh, my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? There's that, oh, my Lord again. Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. It says, and I am the least at my father's house. Can I tell you what? You might be poor, so what? God's rich. You might be the least, God's the greatest. So what? So what? Look, if God's calling you to it, he's not leading you down a, a dead end. But the problem is we end up in dead end places in our life because we doubt God. We just doubt him. We don't believe like we should. Now, you look in, in verse number 40. The Bible says they laughed him to scorn. They simply did not believe it. Now, folks, if we're going to get to the place where God uses our life to become something more than it is, we're going to have to trust him every once in a while. We see this in, in Mark chapter 5, the verses we just read, the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says she spent all and was nothing bettered. She did all that she could do, and finally she says, you know what, I'm just going to have to go to Christ. Why do we have to spend all, waste our time and our resources realizing, you know what, I should have just trust God to begin with. Number one, we get to the place where we're choosing life or limitations. We've got to understand that one of the greatest limitations to the Christian life it's simply our doubt and our disbelief. Now, when we look at this maiden, you know what she was needing? She was needing renewal. She was needing revival. Two weeks from tomorrow, we will enter our week of renewal by the grace of God if he tarries. We're going to enter a very special week for our church. We have a wonderful opportunity Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night for our entire church, uh, Thursday night for our teens, Friday night for our couples, Saturday morning for our men. A wonderful week of renewal. Now, I believe God wants to renew us with all of my heart. But do you know how we're going to prove whether or not we believe God can renew us? If we really believe that, we're going to show up. We're going to show up. Can I ask you, if I were to put out flyers across Hattiesburg saying, Jesus is going to be at Central Baptist Church at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, and he's there to give life, and he's there to give abundant life, you'd probably be amazed at how many people would line up at our doors early to get in, like Black Friday after Thanksgiving. They want to be here. Why? Jesus is going to be there, and he's offering life and eternal life. You're like, man, I'm going to show up for that. Why? Because you believe he is. Can I tell you, he shows up every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. But you know why we stay home and watch Wheel of Fortune? Because we doubt whether or not if I go, he's going to do anything. And the problem's not God. The problem is us. The reason we're limited as a church, we're limited because of the limitation of doubt. Let's look at another one. Verse 40, the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. Now, watch what he did. 
Christ heard them laughing. He knew they were laughing, even if they were laughing on the inside. He recognized their disbelief. Notice what he did. I love this. Verse 40, and they laughed him to scorn. They were doubters. But when he had put them all out, he put them all out. Imagine getting shooed away by Jesus. Who? That's one you wouldn't soon forget. My wife shoes me away all the time. She'll be cooking something on the counter, and I just want to go lift the lid and sniff. That's all I want to do. I'm not going to add or stir the rice. I just want to lift the lid and sniff. That's all. Why? She cooks good food, and my nose doesn't work good after COVID, so I have to get close to smell it. And somehow in the back of the house, she hears the lid rattle. Don't take the lid off of that. She shoes me away, you know, or I'll, I'll catch a whiff of something and it's in the oven and I want to go, oh, don't open the oven, it'll fall. And she shoes me away and I kind of get over because she lets me eat the food later. So that's just kind of a good consolation prize. Imagine getting shooed away by Jesus. Now, why did he shoo him away? Well, here's Jesus. He's trying to work. People are laughing. So he says, you know what? I don't have to deal with this. And so the Bible says he put them out. Why? Well, he was dealing with the second limitation we're going to have to deal with. Number two, he was dealing with the limitation of distraction. He was dealing with the limitation of distraction. The reason so many of us lost and saved, miss out on the life you could have, is due to the simple fact that we are all easily distracted. All right, now I'm not calling you dumb, okay? Don't leave here today and say, that pastor called me dumb. But we're all prone to getting distracted. That's why America's in the shape it's in. That's why Christians are not doing their job. That's why churches have forgotten why they're here. Why they're here, why? Because we've gotten distracted. Now folks, it's a real fact this morning. We've all got to confront that the reason we're so limited in having the life God would have us to have is because we're limited by our own distractions in our life. Is that not what he was talking about in Mark chapter number 4, the parable of the sower? Turn one page back and we'll look at it together. Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. We know the seed that was sown. Some went by the wayside. Some went on stony ground. Some went among thorns. The thorns is what I want you to focus in on. Mark chapter number 4. Look down, if you would, to verse, nine, uh, verse 18. And these are they which are sown among, the thorn, among thorns, such as hear the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things enter in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Notice what happens. Watch. God sows something good. God says, hey, here's something for the good life. Oh, look, when God wants to sow some seeds in your heart and your life, let him plant what he wants. Why? It's going to lead to the good life. I'm not talking about rich. I'm talking about a real good life. But as soon as the seed was sown, what did the Bible say? There were thorns already there. Do you know what thorns are to seeds? They're competition. Okay? They're competition. Only one could win. Like our girls playing volleyball yesterday. I mean, I was in the bleachers. I was standing up. I was down on the floor walking around. Somebody took a picture of me yesterday. I think I really do put a correlation between my hair loss and volleyball. I honestly think my hair was decent, and then all of a sudden it began falling. I think it's due to volleyball. We're watching them go back and forth and back and forth. And it was 24. Our girls were at 24, and the other team was at 23. And I was just, oh, come on, girls. I mean, just come on, finish it. And I probably, I probably look like an expectant dad walking the sidelines. Brother Harold was that way. Uh, Brother Hester was that way. I mean, Brother Corby. We're all just pacing up and down the floor. But in the end, only one could win. Only one could win. And after the game, one of the ladies came up to me from the other team, very kind, very sweet lady, and she says, the better team won. The better team won. Now, I wanted to say, you know it. I said, well, thank you very much. I try to be Christian. Christian and athletics are really, really hard to bring things. like oil and water. You have to make them mix. That's the way thorns are. You throw seeds out. You got something good. The Bible says the cares of the world choke them out. What happened? They were competition. Can I tell you why we miss out on the good life that God's calling us to? is because we choose the distractions of life. What are they? Verse 19 tells you. The deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things. The Bible says it choke, chokes out the word. I was thinking about the prodigal son this morning. Do you know what he missed out on? He missed out on the good life his father had provided. He missed out on it. Do you know why? He got distracted by the deceitfulness of riches. 
He says, give me my inheritance. He got the bag full of money. He went to the far country, and those riches deceived him, and he missed out on the wonderful life that his father had provided for him. Why? He chose to get distracted by the deceitfulness of riches. What else does it say in verse 19? It says, the lust of other things. Do you know why Adam and Eve missed out on the perfect life? Literally, the perfect life. They got distracted by other things. God says, here's your garden. It's a perfect life. I provided you the perfect life. They're the only people who could ever understand that fully, a perfect life. But there's one thing that you can't have and you don't need to touch. It's that fruit right over there, okay? So one day, Adam and Eve going about their business, Eve first, walking around there, and man, just, just living the perfect life. And all of a sudden, something caught her eye. Man, it's does kind of look good. Conveniently, here comes the serpent. Boy, that, that looks great, doesn't it? Yeah. She took her eyes off the perfect life because she got distracted by other things that God never wanted her to have. I believe this morning, folks, the reason we're not living the life we should, number one, is because of the limitation of doubt. Number two, it's the limitation we have in our life of distractions. We've got too many of them. We're distracted away from what we're supposed to be doing here and we're so involved in things that God never intended us to be bothered with. Do you know one of the biggest reasons Christians can't serve today? Debt. We have too much debt. Do you know what debt it is? It's a distraction. We can't serve God. We can't be faithful. We can't volunteer for mission trips. We can't go uh, on youth outings. We have to scrap and claw to find chaperones to go to a youth conference. Why? Because oftentimes we're in debt. Now, folks, look, I'm not saying if you have debt, you're a bad person. I have debt too, okay? I pay my car note every month. But can I tell you something? Oftentimes in life, we get distracted by things that God never wanted us to have to begin with. He said, well, I'm not off in deep sin. If you're distracted from the will of God and the life he's calling you to, it's sin. Look, if you're distracted from what God has left you here to do, does it matter if you're sitting at home with a Ouija board trying to figure out what groceries to buy tomorrow? He said, well, I'm not worshiping Satan. Look, all he's got to do is get you distracted. You know, some churches, I've seen churches split, not because of doctrinal error, not because somebody was preaching heresy, all because they got in a fight about what color the carpet was going to be. There's nothing sinful about carpet. Yes, there is. If it becomes a distraction, it is. And we're seeing in this passage of Scripture, Mark chapter number four, the Bible says that the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things will distract you. I've told you before, unless you're new here, you haven't heard this. When I was six years old, seven years old, mom and dad could remind me, I, I think I was seven, uh, I got to be in the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. And I know you're thinking right now, well, that, that figures. It's because my sister won the competition and, and I got to go a long, long story short. And we got to play tug of war with the Ringling Brothers clowns before circuses became politically incorrect. And I remember there sitting in the stands before we played tug of war, watching the guy go out, that famous lion tamer and, and tiger tamer. And he would go out there with his whip, and he had the, the little chair, and he's, he's out there, you know, scaring them back. Now, here's this 100, 100, hundreds of pound animal. And here's this 150-pound guy, you know, and he's got a whip and a chair. That tiger and that lion could destroy him, probably much to the amusement of the audience. And yet he backs down. And so I got to wonder one day, what is it about the chair, <laughs> you know? I need one of those at my house when my wife gets mad. When I take the lid off the pot, I need one of those chairs. Molly, go get my chair. You know, come back, you know? I think, what is it about the chair? Because it's always a chair, right? It's not a taser. It's not, it's not a baseball bat. It's always a chair. So I, I looked it up just so that I would find out. And come to find out, they use a four-legged stool to distract the lion and distract the tiger while they're popping the whip. And the theory is simply this, those four legs on that chair, they keep them distracted, and that lion's trying to figure out, well, do I got this popping, you got this chair, and slowly but surely, they're able to tame them through distraction. Oh my goodness, I couldn't miss up the opportunity for that illustration. <laughs> Too easy. What has tamed the church? Why does the church have no bite? The Bible says we're more than conquerors. The Bible says all power is given to us. We're the lion. We're the tiger. 
We've got all the power, and the devil's over here, this little squirrely-looking guy with a whip and a chair, and he's backing us into a corner. How is he defeating us? Distractions. He's distracting us. Taking our mind off of what we're going to do, and we back over in the corner, and next thing you know, we're this lion, and we hop up on the little perch, just like the lion tamer tells us to. He says, hey, look, look, don't you not feel like going to church tonight? Yes, sir. Hop up on the chair. He comes over to this little line over here. Hey, don't you not feel like telling anybody about Jesus today? Yes, sir. And we've been tamed. Why? We're distracted. The cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. Is that not what brought David down? David, a man after God's own heart. David could not be tamed by man or beast. Goliath couldn't touch him. The lion and the bear could not harm him. David, a man after God's own heart. And yet we see David backed into a corner and we find him tamed. He's lost his bark. He's lost his bite. What happened to David? He got distracted by a pretty little woman. Brought him down to the place where he was at. He looked up to God and he says, God, my sin's over my head. He's given the enemies of God great opportunity to blaspheme. Number two, this morning, if we're going to have a life and see God work in our life like Christ worked in this woman's life, We're going to have to clear out some of the distractions. Look at verse 40. But when he had put them all out, he had put them all out. You know, too many Christians this morning are living a limited life, and you're missing out on seeing God work because you refuse to deal with your distractions. Jesus wanted to work. He wanted to bring life. And these people are, (laughs) finally he says, get out. Get out. I'm trying to work here. I'm wanting to do a work here. And if you don't believe you're going to be a doubter and you're going to be a distraction, get out. Can I tell you what some of us need to do this morning? You need to tell some distractions to get out. You need to put some distractions out. It might be a person. Do it nicely, okay? Especially if they're bigger than you. Do it nicely. Say, listen, I can't go with you today. I can't be around you right now. Why? Because I want to see Christ to work. I want him to work in my life. I want to have life in my life. And you're just a distraction to that. I'm sorry. I can't hang around you anymore. That's why the Bible says, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Why? They're going to distract you. Now, folks, look, let's just get down to the brass tacks this morning. All of us have things in our life from time to time that need to be put out. You might have to go home and take care of that remote control. Look, just walk out the back door, pull a Peyton Manning, you know that commercial? It's far as you can. Why? It's a distraction for you. It's not for everybody, but some folks it is. It might be what you're watching, what you're listening to, who you're hanging around. Look, you better put them out. Why? Or else you're going to be on the outside looking in, wondering what Jesus is doing in there. I wish I could be in there seeing what he's doing. No, you're, you're too wound up with distractions. And they found themselves being limited. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Interesting passage. Listen closely. The Bible says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, the Bible says you look upon a woman to lust upon her, you've committed adultery in your heart. That is so bad. That is so bad. Listen close. Verse 29 says, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. And cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. He says, look, if it comes down to it that your eyes are distraction, he says, it's better for you to pluck it out and cast it far from thee. Now look, I don't want everybody to show up blind tonight. All right? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is it saying? If there's something in your life distracting you, It's better that you cast it far from thee. It's better that you put them out. Why? Because it's going to cost you to miss out. Now, here's what I imagine. Imagine those people who got kicked out of the house by Jesus. (laughs) I want to meet them one day and ask them what it was like. They're standing on the outside of the door. Wonder what's going on in there? Man, I can't see. Can you see? They're fighting for a spot at the window, but the windows are dirty, so they're trying to just get up there and see what's going on in there. What's he doing? They're just out there on the outside looking in. You know why? Because they were distractions. And this morning, you are going to be on the outside looking in on the life that could have been 
If you keep becoming limited by the distractions in your life, what's the answer? Just do what Jesus did. Put them out. Julius Caesar, when he landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman army, wanted to ensure that his military campaign was going to be a success. And so after they'd been there a while and made camp, he marched his troops over to the cliffs of Dover, and they looked over the cliffs to see the ships that had brought them to the shore were burning. He commanded that they be burned. you know why? He says if the ships remain, there's a likelihood they're going to get back on those ships. When the battle gets tough, when times get hard, they're going to go home. So they burned the ships. You know what they did? He removed any distraction. I would have been too happy about that. It's not politically correct to do that, but he got the job done. Why? He removed the distractions. So number one, you're going to have to deal with the limitations of, of doubt. Don't be a laugher. Number two, deal with the limitations of distraction. Why? Because success is worth dealing with distractions. Finally, we're going to look at the last one, and this is probably the most important, and I'm going to let you go. Christ wanted to bring life. He wanted to do a work. But he had to take care of those that doubted and those that were a distraction. But probably one of the most important things that limited him, if you would, look up to verse 23. Jairus comes to Christ The Bible says he besought him. Jairus is in need of the life that only Christ can give. And can I tell you this morning, you and I, whether lost or saved, are in the same boat as Jairus. We're in need of the life that only Christ can give. Every one of us. If you're lost, oh, are you in need? And I would beg you this morning, receive eternal life before it's too late. Because you don't want to be eternally in hell on the outside looking in. You want to be on the inside. But if you're saved here this morning, you need the life that he wants you to have, that abundant life. Verse 23 says that when Jairus came to Jesus, he he besought him. He needed Jesus to do what only Jesus could do in his life. But then something horrible happens. One of the greatest setbacks in life is about to take place in the life of Jairus. And I need you to hear me out on this one because you're going to go through this, I promise. He seeks out Jesus and the life that only he could give. And while he's talking with him, the crowd's moving. Here comes this little lady. I call her a linebacker. She just slips right on up in there, and she gets between Jairus and Christ. And I kind of see Jairus falling back in the crowd. The lady has got up to the spot where he's at, and Jairus has fallen back, and he's trying to get back up to Christ. And then what happens at the end of the story with the lady? She butted in line, if you will. She got healed, verse 34. Verse 35, all right, now back to Jairus. Jairus fought his way through. He says, okay, you got your miracle, now my turn. And he shoot her to the back, you know. I kind of see a DMV picture there, just trying to get to the front of the line. Evidently, most of you have never been to the DMV. Verse 35, while he yet spake. So here he is picking up the conversation. The Bible says, the rule of the synagogue's house, certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Thy daughter is dead. Now, I want you to imagine this morning, Jairus knows Christ can do it. He gets to Christ. He talks to Christ. And then all of a sudden, the connection is broken. And he experiences one of the greatest setbacks in life, which is disappointment. Disappointment. Now, watch what happens The Bible says in verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Suddenly the life that only Christ could bring is being jeopardized by Jairus' determination. That's the third limitation this morning, why we don't have the life we could have that only Christ can give. It's the limitation of determination. If there's one thing this morning that will stifle your determination, it's this, disappointment. Disappointment. Now, I am nobody this morning to preach about how I don't get disappointed because I do. I've said many times, I've never been discouraged, but boy, I've been disappointed many times. The only times I have, have wanted to quit, I really thought about quitting ministry. The only times I have wanted to in my pity party, it's times I've been disappointed. You know, I have been talked about, kind of comes with a job. I've been disagreed with, that's fine. My wife disagrees with me. I've had conflict, I've had persecution. Those are all tolerable things. But one of the most 
intolerable things that will stifle your determination is disappointment. So how do you know? I could give you dozens, if not hundreds, of Christians this morning that are no longer determined to seek out the life that only Christ could give because things didn't go as planned. God, when I was 12 years old, I surrendered my life to you, started following you. I just had the dream of what it was going to be like. We're going to have a happily ever after, raise, you know, 15 kids. They're going to be missionaries all over the world. You know, one was going to sing, one was going to play the ukulele, and you know, we just had it all planned out. You knew what the house was going to look like, the picket fence was going to look like, even knew what the name of your pet was going to be. You had it all mapped out. Where are you going to go on vacation? What kind of car are you going to drive? And even what your grandchildren were going to call you one day. And then suddenly life happens, doesn't it? Something comes between you and what you were pursuing. Disappointment happens. And all of the sudden, whether or not you find the life you were looking for is going to be decided by whether or not you're determined to not let disappointments derail you. Jairus is standing there. What does he want to do when he finds out his daughter's dead? There's no point, right? Might as well quit. I mean, there's no point in you coming to my house. She's already dead. And so all of a sudden, the life he was pursuing is about to be derailed. Why? Because disappointment has come his way. And at that moment, Jesus peers into the heart of Jairus. He can see in there. And he can see in yours too. And he sees disappointment is about to overload him. What does he say? Real quickly, real quickly. Verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to him, be not afraid, only believe. Can I tell you something this morning? Disappointment has happened and will happen. But you can't let disappointments in life and what other Christians got wrong or when life happened to you derail you from seeking out the life that God has called you to. Do not let disappointment keep you this morning from persevering and being determined in the will of God for your life. You can't do it. Don't let the devil tame you with disappointment. Things didn't work out like you thought it was. Well, folks, most of the time it don't. You know why? We're living a cursed world. We're not back in Eden anymore. Look, there's imperfect people in this life. I don't know if you noticed that. You're looking at one. Really imperfect. Just ask my wife. She could give you all of my imperfections. They're real And all of a sudden, you're dealing with people, and people are disappointing, and suddenly you're not determined anymore to do the will of God. People don't turn out to be who they thought we thought they were. All of us have heroes. Heroes are merely mortal men. We make mistakes. They make mistakes. You say, well, because they messed up, there's no point in me pursuing that life. And suddenly you allow the devil to use the stool of disappointment to deter your determination to find the will of God for your life. Maybe this morning life is not as fair as you hoped it would be. I'm sorry. I promise you, if you'll trust Christ as your Savior, the next one will be. The next one's going to be good. There's no disappointments there. But in this one, you're going to have to be determined to seek out the life. Why? Life depends on it. All of a sudden, Jairus says, no, 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 forget it. I'm disappointed. I'm going home. I think it had gone home to a dead daughter. And she just stayed that way. But all of a sudden, Jesus grabs a hold of his heart. He says, be not afraid, only believe. Watch this, don't doubt. Don't doubt. Don't get derailed. Hey, you keep pursuing life. And all of a sudden, in verse 42, his daughter arose and walked again. Watch this, she found new life. You may not get the old life you had back, but watch this, he can give you a new life in spite of your disappointment. That's why you better be determined to seek the will of God for your life. I got to hurry. Genesis chapter 35, I was reading this this morning about Jacob and Rachel. Genesis 35, 19, here's Jacob going about the will of God. Rachel died, was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem, and Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That's the pillar of Rachel's grave, basically on the side of the road they were headed to. Verse 21 says this, and Israel journeyed. Jacob kept going. I'm sure Jacob had imagined life with her. Jacob's picture of life never, ever, ever didn't include Rachel. She's going to be there. And now the path that he's on, she's not there. 
He could have so easily said, God, that's, that's not what I thought it was going to be. God, you know what? Forget this. But no. The Bible says Israel or Jacob journeyed. He didn't let his disappointments stifle his determination and limit him from the will of God for his life. Last verse I'll give you is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. The apostle Paul is sitting in a prison about to have his head chopped off. And he says some of the saddest words in all scripture. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. You know how many thousands of people Paul led to Christ? How many churches Paul started? How many people he influenced in his life? And here he is at the lowest point. He's about to have his head taken from his neck. And he says, only Luke is with me. Oof. How tempting would it have been to say, all these years, all this time, all this trouble, and this is how I go out? Just one guy here with me? Where's all these people? Suddenly, that disappointment could cause you not to be determined. The Apostle Paul says, no. He's kept on about the will of God for his life. He said, I'm not going to be limited by the disappointments. I'm going to stay determined. I honestly believe this morning too many Christians are missing out on the life you could have because some Christian disappointed you. Some Christian disappointed you. Maybe in me, I don't know. Possible. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to go down that path because there was a guy that was going down that path and he messed up. And you know what? Forget this. And suddenly you live a limited life because you could not get past the disappointments of your life. Well, folks, I beg you this morning, even though others may not get it right, why don't you decide you're going to get it right today? Don't use other people as an excuse. The excuse this morning of disappointments will only keep you from living the life you could have, even when others haven't. This morning, I believe God calls all of us to life for salvation. He calls us to life for sanctification. He calls us to life of service. But many of us don't go down that road. Why? Because we're limited by something. We're limited by our doubts. We're limited by our distractions. Or we're limited by our disappointments. And we're not determined. And this morning, here's what I simply wonder. Are you willing to walk out those doors not having the life you could or be on the way to having the life you could because you're satisfied with being limited? I believe America's in trouble it's in today because for too long we've been satisfied being limited. I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I have an excuse. All right? I'm not sure if he's going to do that or not. I doubt. I have an excuse, you know. I've been distracted. I got work. I got all these other things. Or maybe this morning, you know what? I've been disappointed. And that preacher let me down. And you know what? Because he let me down, I'm going to be a let down to somebody else. No? Why don't you decide this morning? I'm not going to be limited. I want to have the life. I want to have the life. I want eternal life. I want an abundant life. Look, I want a serving life. I want a sanctified life. And ultimately, listen, I want eternal life in heaven with him. You can have it today. But you've got to decide you're going to have to cut loose from what's limiting you today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together.